we all want to be loved. I don't care who you are. We all, from cradle to grave, we want to be loved. And when we are not, it causes us to ask questions. What did I do? Why am I unlovable? You know, why does this person? So when you had my sister was born and I could see the affection he had for her, it was just, you know, why does he love her but does not love me? Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and the decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Alicia Brown, a child abuse survivor, motivational speaker, and author. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me, Ronit. I am really glad you're here. Likewise. So you're a woman and a motivational speaker who has turned your life around and changed your mindset. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about when you started on the journey of consciously changing your mindset. Yes, yes. You know, the thing was, um, being a child abuse survivor, there were seeds that were implanted. And I always tell people that predators have language. So they know how to manipulate. They know what to say to really groom you, so to speak. And that sounds horrible to some people, but that's exactly what they're doing. They're grooming you to think a certain way, to react a certain way, and that's that victimization. That's when victimization occurs. So especially when you can do that to a child, and the earlier you can do that in their development, you pretty much have bred them to think a certain way. So, you know, as children, we don't know about mindset or the power of our words or what we think, we go with what we're taught. So I remember at the age of 17, my abuser, who was my father, died. And of course, you can imagine as a teenager, 17 years old, there's a lot of transition. You're thinking about, you know, graduating from high school, what are your plans after, whether it's college, what type of career, your hopes and dreams. There's a lot going on. But because of that situation, as well as just my upbringing in general, I was so focused on doing what is expected of me. So even then, late teens, early 20s, really wasn't thinking about mindset and how to go from that victim mentality to actual survivor and actually thriving. When did you start getting victimized? What was that experience like growing up? You know, I would say I don't have a memory where I wasn't being abused. And one of the things I'm very honest about when I share my story is that I don't remember my father ever saying a kind word or any kindness being displayed towards me at all. I don't have happy memories of life with him. So I always remember being under a pressure cooker, always just assaults with his words and always feeling like someone had their hand around my throat and I just couldn't breathe. You know, I walked around in fear. I remember at one point there was a teacher when they were recalling my earlier years, elementary school and things like that. They're like, if you said hi to her, she would jump. If you said boo, she would jump. So victimization, I guess you can say pretty much from birth on, because again, predators have a language. And they know what to do. They know how to implant things in you to get their results. 
Was there another person in the house, another adult in the house? Absolutely, my mother. So did you give you a short little backdrop? I grew up what, what you would call the typical cookie cutter home. We were Christians. We went to church or a formal religious facility on a regular basis. We read the Bible. We went out in ministry. It was a normal household from all appearances. So I had a mother and father. They were married. They had two children. My sister and I are eight years apart, and I'm the oldest. But I also had another parent that was dealing with their own mental health challenges. So I had one that was the abuser, and then another one who was dealing with mental illness. And was your mother being hurt as well? My mother also was being abused, but she wasn't physically abused, not saying that one is better than the other. But honestly, it was the type of abuse where you've learned that it's normal. So to give you also a little insight into that, I come from multiple generational abuse and it was accepted. So this is just, you know, some husbands are like this and they focus more on, well, at least he's a provider. He takes care of his family. He does this. And the situation was just certain things were less than ideal. So it was the abuse that was accepted. And did your sister also get hurt? Actually, no. And that's the bizarre thing is, that my father actually pitted us against each other. I was perceived as being a lot like my mother. So my mother was educated, my mother was very smart. And I think in certain ways that was a threat to him. My father did not have formal education. He did not finish high school. He came from a family of 13 children and he was the only boy. So, you know, it was a lot where he had to drop out of school to help take care of the family. And later on, we realized he had a disability. So when my sister was born, my sister also had mental retardation. So he accepted her and didn't feel like she was a threat, but he felt like she was more similar to him. So he sort of pitted us against each other. So that must have been very confusing for for you growing up to be the object of his abuse. Yes, we all want to be loved. I don't care who you are. We all, from cradle to grave, we want to be loved. And when we are not, it causes us to ask questions. What did I do? Why am I unlovable? You know, why does this person? So when you had my sister was born and I could see the affection he had for her, it was just, you know, why does he love her but does not love me? And actually, because, again, I was a child and predators know how to do things. They breathe certain things in you. I blame myself. So for years, even after his death, I would ask the question, why am I so unlovable? Yeah. And do you think that teachers and other adults in your community, maybe at church or at school, could sense how you were being raised and what your climate was like at home? <laughs> you know what? It's funny you ask that. I remember one time, and this was really bizarre, I remember one time into the order of the religion uh, my mother was a member of and our family was at that time. If you had problems in your family, you called certain men of the religion, certain leaders, and one came over the house. And for some reason, my father was in rare form. Typically, it was really good when we went out in the public or when we were at religious functions. He would act like that perfect person. People loved my father. You know, he was funny. He was humorous. You know, people will say today, you get your humor from him. 
And today that's okay. It's no longer something that disgusts me to hear. But this time when this person came to our house, he was just his full self. He showed himself. He was arguing. He was defending himself. And I remember, I probably was about 15 at the time, that religious leader looked at him in full disgust. And from that day forward, he did different things to try to include me with other young people and to try to show me some type of affection because he saw my father for the person that my mother and me and my sister knew inside the home. Unfortunately, you know, as a child, I was extremely suicidal because I saw that as the only way to end this terror, this abuse, this lifestyle. And what is so sad is when you hear later other teachers saying that, yeah, you know, if you said boo to her, she jumped. Or, you know, people notice signs when you bring it up later. And I'm like, I could be dead now because no one intervened. So it's one of the things I try to educate people on. You really need to look for signs. And when something doesn't appear to be right, say something. You don't know what that child is going through. And a lot of times we see bullying incidents and things going on where children take their life. Someone saw something and could have said something or could have intervened some kind of way. Now, of course, that has to be done responsibly. But I think as a society, there's so many things we accept this normal that we really shouldn't accept and should try to do something or say something or alert the authorities and really look out for these signs. Do you have any anger about that? No, I don't. Because I also, once you, again, get from the victimization mode, you realize that a lot of people are dealing with their own thing. You know, I realize really dissecting it back, even I'll take the religious community for them. And it was people that after my mother came forward and said certain things in that organization, they didn't see the problem because they were that way at home or that was accepted behavior or, you know, well, he might be terrible that way, but, you know, he provided a home for you guys. He paid some of the bills and it was like, that's okay. You know, as long as he does this, this over here is fine and it's not. But if that is their accepted behavior, they won't see a problem. For you, it sounds like it manifested in suicidal thoughts. And what else do you recall growing up being behavior or experiences that you endured because of what was going on at home? This is something very important that I want to share with your listeners. There is scientific evidence now. There's scientific research being done and a lot of work that's going forward on what's called averse childhood experiences. And it is scientifically proven that children that experience trauma are in environments where they see trauma, it doesn't always have to be against them, but they witness it, have certain things later on in life. For instance, a lot of things that we've sometimes just associated, maybe that's your DNA, maybe that's your family history. It's not necessarily exclusively brought on by that. So I have a chronic illness. And part of that scientifically has been proven from children that at early ages are exposed to trauma and violence and things of that nature can be linked now to that. I did not act out. I was not a rebellious child. I always lived that cookie cutter life of this is what expected of you. You smile, you put forth that perfect front with the perfect family. 
So you would say, oh, okay, well, she was a good kid, da-da-da-da-da, okay, she was smart. So what was the impact? Well, I can tell you the impact was that for so many years, I was miserable. I got to realize, I think, in my early 20s, I didn't know how I lived. I was in a survival mode. So it was like this energy, this toxicity. I saw in other friendships where I accept being victimized by them as well, accepted people speaking to me in an abusive tone because that's all I knew. And that breeding ground for unhealthy relationships, communications was there because that's all I knew. And a lot of times you have people that are running around in defensive mode. And I can't tell you how terrible that is on things, you know, cause high blood pressure. All the jobs I ever took were high stress crisis mode type things. And I thrived on going in there and turning things around and putting things back on top. But there was a cost to my health and wellness. And again, just accepted behavior from growing up in that abusive pressure cooker environment. Why do you think that you sought out those stressful jobs? Because it related to the combat zone that I was used to. I was used to being the fixer. I was used to nothing but stress. And, you know, some people, you see them, they love drama. I'm the exact opposite now. I love things being peaceful. I don't like chaos and confusion. I'm not a confrontational person. But back then, that is what I gravitated to when it came to relationships or jobs. I'm going to be the fixer. So if it's high pressure, high stress, okay, I'm going to show how capable I am because, you know, growing up in the environment I did, it was about trying to be perfect for acceptance, which I never got. But it's like, you know, trying to prove how smart you are, how capable you are, how worthy you are. So that manifests a lot of times. You'll see certain abuse survivors who they'll go get jobs like military or they'll be law enforcement or they'll have those responder jobs because they're used to crisis mode and trying to fix everything, trying to be the helper. And not that those are not good roles, but sometimes with the wrong person, the damage just continues and manifests in another way, often physically and mentally. I really believe a lot of times that's why you see mental illness so prevalent because of undealt issues that people are dealing with. When you say that you went after those high pressure situations and were comfortable in that kind of on the edge type of work, I wonder if you were also not interested in having a lot of quiet and peace in your life at that time, if it was uncomfortable to be quiet and still. Yes. And that's why I said, you know, if you really look at things and you seek help, you can see the healing process and you can see where things change because at one time it was just this go, 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 go. So if there was peace, oh no, you must be slacking. Something must be wrong because it's just not normal to have quiet. Just not normal. You know, for a while, I didn't even know what vacation was because it was like, why are you need vacation? You ought to be out there. What's the next level you need to reach? What's the next this? You need to do this. You need to do this or you're a failure. Everything was either your success or you're a failure. And it was like, I realized you're not even enjoying life. Life is to be enjoyed. Everything is not a to-do list. Everything is not striving for recognition or the next accolade. How are you making a difference, which is not always as loud 
as all those other things you're striving for and the approval. You know, I didn't realize until later you're seeking approval. And if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't have peace within, no one can give you their approval. Tell me a little bit about how you got to this understanding or what was your turning point? Because it seems like you're in such a different place now than you were. Thank God. Yes. You know, it's the funniest thing. And I mean, funniest and irony because I was a young college student in my undergraduate work. And as most of us at that point were pondering over the future, trying to figure it all out, fear and doubt often will creep in. And again, being an abuse survivor, but especially a child abuse survivor, there are moments that you often replay the destructive words of your abuser. And you use those to give credibility to your doubts and fears. You know, go on in my head and replay, replay. What if your father was right? Because my father was my abuser. What if your father was right? What if you aren't going to mount to anything? It was this one occasion, one occasion that my heart just screamed out. And I know it was no one but God, but my heart cried out boldly and so loudly. You're allowing him, you're allowing your father control you from the grave. He's dead, you're alive, but you're allowing him to dictate your actions and choices from the grave. And when that was in my spirit, it was like dead silence. It was like a loud bell just rung. And it just changed my whole thought process, my mindset, because something so profound and simple, I never saw it that way, that this man is dead. And by that time, he had been dead for a few years. And it's like, he's dead. And you're allowing his words, what he would think, this quest that you're trying to do all these things, you're allowing him to control you from the grave. You're alive and you're not allowing yourself to live. So you did it all by yourself, or I shouldn't say that. It sounds like there was a spiritual experience for you. Yes. You know, I always tell people, what do you believe? Because we have this thing of we, you know, I believe I can do it. I can do this. And I have the power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have all these motivational sayings. We read books on affirmations. I'm not saying those don't have any validity or weight. But what does your heart believe? Because sometimes we're doing that, fake it till you make it. Or I'm going to say these words to pump myself up and cheer myself up. And that's all good. But in your heart, if there's doubt in your heart, if you don't believe, you have a problem. And it will, you know, affect that. It's the answer, yes or no. Are you in or out? If your heart doesn't believe what you say, if there's not alignment, and then after you have a belief, what is that founded on? You know, for me, I'm a very much a spiritual being. I have a strong faith in God, despite the fact that I grew up in a religious household under this toxicity, because to be honest, if you're growing up being abused and spirituality is the center of your household, a lot of people that will turn them away from spirituality because they feel like this God that you're telling me is so wonderful is not protecting me. So therefore, why should I believe in him? But I had to go through my own journey and my own relationship. But that is what my belief and my foundation is central on. 
And that's where I got my strength from. But I will say, after you have that belief, after you have your solid foundation, you've got to do something. So over the years, even now, seeking the help of, you know, certified life coaches, seeking the help of mental professionals, because we can't do this all alone. You can make the choice to make the first step, but you need help. And books alone, even, you know, some programs alone are not going to help because what happened is serious. It's like grief. It's a continual process to heal and you need help at different stages, different levels, different ways. So how did you sustain it once, you know, it sounds like you went to therapy then and you probably sought some coaching yourself after you had this breakthrough? Actually, my first step wasn't therapy, unfortunately. I look back over the work I've done over the years with different therapists and life coaches. I started with life coaching first, but I wish I had went to therapy because I don't care who you are. It's not being disrespectful to any of your listeners. But when you have been on the edge in that toxic environment, even to the point people think PTSD is just military, it's not. PTSD is experienced by people that have experienced extreme traumas. So you're going through those things. And as I said earlier, mental illness runs in several generations of my family. So you have those things you're combating and also just the level of what you endure surviving abuse. You need to talk to someone. You need a professional's help. It's not that you're crazy. It's not that you're sick, but some things are preventative. Some things you need a professional that can ask you the right questions, that can guide you through those epiphanies and guide you to that point, like that pivotal moment I had to put the power back into my hands. Because a victim thinks, this happened to me. It wasn't my fault. And all of that's true. But sometimes people don't get that key to turn to say, yes, that was not your fault. That happened to you. But you are responsible from this point forward to how to fix it. And some people never feel empowered. They never feel like I'm in the driver's seat. I'm always walking around. I'm a victim. Poor me. Woe is me. That doesn't allow you to live. Right. And so that's something that is a point of maybe clarification, because you're saying that you have to do a lot of work personally to undo what was done to you. So the idea is that this happened to you, but you don't have to continue living the way you do because of what happened to you in the past. Exactly. And then, you know, don't ignore what happened to you or don't water it down. You know, when I'm talking to different survivors, I'm a publisher. So a lot of times I have people come to me about a book and they're sharing their stories. Their stories are horrific. I didn't experience anything on that level. And sometimes what a victim will do is say, okay, well, maybe it wasn't that bad because nobody wants to admit that bad things happen to you. Nobody wants to really get into the sickness of an individual that victimizes you, regardless of how your abuse was. But the point is, what happened, happened. Denying it won't make it go away. Not dealing with it won't make it go away. Matter of fact, it just makes the symptoms and the results that much more louder because you refuse to deal with it. So you have to acknowledge what happened. You have to acknowledge the impact, the effect that it has on you. But once you do that, you can't stay there. 
And I watch so many people and it breaks my heart. A lot of times I can look at them and hear their stories. I can tell you exactly the point, probably the age around when the worst thing happened to you as far as your abuse. Because I can look at a 75-year-old woman and hear a six-year-old little girl. I can see it in your actions. I can see it in what you're doing because it's that six-year-old that was probably the height of your abuse that's still screaming, will anyone hear me? Will anyone love me? Will anyone help me? And they will, but you have to go and get help for what happened. It doesn't make you sick. It doesn't make you pathetic. It doesn't make you weak. It's just like anything else. It's like you fell off a horse and broke your leg. Was it your fault you fell? No, but you still have to go get your leg treated. Sitting there and crying for years doesn't fix your leg. Actually, it makes it worse. So you have to go get treatment. It may not be your fault what happened, but you are responsible to seek treatment so you can get well. So to clarify then, being a victim is not someone's fault from what you're saying. It's not something anyone chooses for themselves. But at what point do you feel people should start making a change in their life? I believe that sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. And that looks different. That's different times for everybody. Because this is another part of abuse that people don't understand. Some people, the longer they don't deal with it and seek help, they get comfortable. They have attention when they tell their story. I know it sounds sick. I know it sounds twisted. That's the world we live in. So some people would say, if I can't identify with being a victim, if I can't hold this banner before me every day and continue to replay these stories to you as if it just happened, where would the attention come from? I get attention from being sick. I get attention from saying, woe is me. I'm not sure I'm ready to let that go. So some people are more comfortable in holding on to the pain and staying in that sick, twisted state because they've learned to be comfortable with the attention they get which is the same attention they wanted as a child. So it's a mixed bag, which is why I say there isn't an age to me for you to get help. I will say it's never too late. Sometimes, you know, I'm talking to people age 70 and they're saying, oh my goodness, I never thought about it, but what you said, that happened to me. Should I say that because they're in their 70s, they shouldn't go get help? No, you should go help. The first day you wanna get better and you're tired, of dealing with this or tired of things just being status quo, you should go get help. And I would suggest get it sooner than later. How many people in your experience do you think have been a victim like this? Unfortunately, I think it's more than not. It's more than not. Victimization, you know, depending on when you were born. You know, I look at my mom's generation as the baby boomer. I'm a generation Xer. I look at my godchildren who I, I don't even know what generation they are. I guess all <laughs> the millennials. We have so many of these new generations, Y and this and Z and millennials. But, you know, we could look if I was a baby boomer like my mom. I guess I would say, oh, well, you know, a lot of people experienced it, but they didn't have labels on it or they accepted it. I could say from my generation, Generation X, but really all the generations experience abuse. And it was very prevalent. It was just some things we didn't talk about, some things, you know, especially cultural wise, 
your culture might not have gotten help for things like that. They might not have seen the value of professional help, or it may not have been accessible to them. But graphically, it may not have been accessible to you. So I think abuse is more prevalent than we give it credit for, and I equate it to mental illness. The stigma behind mental illness is great, but if you really research what mental illness is, how many people at some point have experienced mental illness? Again, not saying you have your diagnosis being manic or bipolar, but if you really study what mental illness is, and if you're not in a state of mental, good, solid mental health, mental healthiness, most people have experienced some form of mental illness or depression. So I feel the same way with abuse, whether you were the victim, the perpetrator, or you were an eyewitness. I think abuse is more prevalent than not. Yeah, I think so too. Your mom, how is she these days? And did she follow a path similar to yours? My mom, I can say, is very healthy. And that has been the beauty of it. A lot of time as abuse survivors, when there was one that abused you, you blame the other parent. So you blame that person for not helping you, coming to your rescue, getting you out of that situation. So I think in my early 20s, I really did. And I, I wasn't even cognizant of it. I wasn't aware that my actions said it, my treatment of her. But I wrote my first book about mid-30s. And that was definitely a conversational piece. And I realized when we had different discussions with one another that, you know, pretty much she was in the same situation. And she had said at one point, she said, you know, there was times I wanted to leave your father. And I want to take you is somewhere healthier, but I had nowhere to go. And when she looked at possibly going back with her family, that was her only other option. Her family was just abusive as ours. So what was the point to uproot your children, leave your marriage, just to put them in another environment that was just as bad as or worse? So, you know, we struck that dialogue and we talk about, it, we continue to talk about it, whether it's some of my friendships that there's choices I'm making and saying this is no longer healthy for me, or it's some of her friendships that she's, you know, contemplating the same thing. We have that discussion dialogue because we are both survivors. We're not in a victim's mode and we're grateful for the life that God has blessed us to have now and actually have survived from. So much, much health and wellness, much emotional peace and mental stability. So I'm grateful for that. And thank you for asking. Yeah, because you both endured such a similar experience, just different that she was his partner and you were his daughter. So what about witnessing and encountering people who are in a position of still thinking about their past and in your view, not moving forward yet? When people encounter people in their lives who have been hurt and who have not yet reached the point of trying to maybe exorcise it, you know, get it out of their lives and work on it. What is a good path for someone who's close to someone who's been a victim? How can they help or support that person? Good question, Ronit. What I always tell people, and I equate it similar to ministry, which is another role I carry, draw people with love, not judgment. You know, oftentimes we think, well, if you just do this or just let that go and you say things and you might mean well, but you're actually pouring salt on a wound. Love them, love them first. Also, I share my story because, you know, again, I equate spirituality. 
if you love, you know, whoever your higher power is, you love God or you love your higher source and you want everybody. You think that lifestyle is ideal for everybody. And you want to save the world by sharing this wonderful thing that you have. But the truth of the matter is you're not going to save the world, no matter how hard you try. And as much as you love something and think this is the perfect way for everybody to live, it's not. Everyone is in agreement. And sometimes you do more injury trying to make people conform than you do help. So my thing is, A, live your truth. Share with them your story. Don't judge them and love them. Sometimes that person needs a hug. Sometimes you show active kindness. I've noticed you're a little stressed or I noticed that you've been more tired. You're doing a lot. Do you want to go for coffee? Maybe we can go for lunch. Do you want to talk? You really have to sort of gauge their spirit, but don't put the superhero cape on. Don't be so quick to judge. Don't be so quick to give them 12 steps of what they need to do, but just love on them. Show love, love on them. Sometimes you may just be sharing your story, but please, it's almost like grief when someone loses someone they love. Don't go with, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Because when I lost, no, you don't know exactly how they feel because you're two different individuals. Your experience, your feelings, your emotions, how you process that is completely different from that person. So have love, compassion, share your story, have acts of kindness, make sure they know if they want to talk, they can come talk to you. And most importantly, educate yourself. Because one of the things when you're dealing with people with trauma and suicide and mental health issues, you do need a professional that knows what to say, what not to say. So I think it would behoove all of us to have some type of training. There's, you know, peer support specialist training. There's programs like Safe Talk that will tell you if you're interacting with someone that's going through a crisis, here's what to say, here's where to point them to. It might benefit you to take that type of training to know how to deal with people because you may just be one small piece of that puzzle and then you're leading them to someone else, but you have to be sure to have timing and to do it the right way instead of causing more harm than good. What are some cries for help or what do you think are some signs or warnings that someone you know is suffering in the way similar to the ways that we're discussing? Sometimes in our world, we're so fast paced, we don't notice things. But if you notice someone, maybe you guys talk all the time and all of a sudden you don't hear anything. Or you notice they just seem to be really sad now. Don't just equate it to, oh, well, you know, this is going on in their life. Maybe this is what's wrong. Pay attention, especially now with social media. Watch their posts. You know, you have some people where Maybe everything they post was a joke or funny. And then all of a sudden you start seeing them post sad messages and really bitter messages and angry messages. And they start saying things like, you know, this world is so terrible. I just wish I wasn't in there. Sometimes I wish I was dead with the way people are treating me. And there's these messages of distrust all the time. Take those very seriously because a lot of times it's cries for help. You just see changes in people. And they're not good changes. Sometimes that office mate that always came in smiling and happy and was the life of the party, now they're sitting alone a lot. They look really sad a lot. 
their head, their posture is always drooping and humdrum sadness, this dark cloud over them. Don't ignore that. That can definitely be, all of those are signs of help. So people need to listen, you need to observe, you need to watch. And when you see something that's not right, be very mindful of reaching out to them again, love, compassion, not judgment. Is everything okay? Hey, let's go out for lunch. Let's have a cup of coffee. Try to get them out of that environment and in one that maybe they'll feel comfortable talking if they have children. Sometimes, you know, we have people that maybe they lost a spouse or they lost their parent. Don't assume people have places to go for holidays. Maybe you invite them to come with your family. Maybe you take their kids if you have that relationship. You know, hey, I noticed this thing. They're doing this over here at the park. Do you mind if your kids go with my kids? Maybe we can go together as a family. Try to include them in fun activities in their family. Let them know someone cares. Mm-hmm. And do you ever have hard days still? Oh, absolutely. And I tell people, you know, my speaking platform and my motivational platform, I'm Alicia Brown, the joy guru. But Alicia Brown, the joy guru is human. So it doesn't mean that all day long, I'm just going to be happy and go lucky. And I never have any problems because I'm healthy and whole. If anyone tells you that, it's not true. And you're perpetuating still a sickness. I have some difficult days, but I will say they all pale in comparison to the life I lived before. Yeah. So where can people learn more about you or follow you or read your work? Oh, thank you. They can start everything with me. You can go to thejoyguru.net. That has my links for social media. Everywhere I am the Joy Guru, except for Facebook, where I am Alicia Brown, the Joy Guru. But if you go to thejoyguru.net, that will give you links to my social media, gives you links to my books, podcasts, publishing company. You can get it all there. Great. If you could go back and say something to the young you, to the one that was in the midst of all this victimization to help, what would you say to yourself? Mm. I would tell her she's beautiful. Her life has purpose. It does get better and she needs to hold on. She's beautiful. Her life has purpose. It does get better and she needs to hold on. I really, really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Because, you know, sometimes we think it's the big things we need to hear, but it's not. You know, I tell people, no one really wants to die. If anyone's ever contemplated suicide, they don't want to die. They just don't see a reason to live. So sometimes it's as simple as a smile. It's a hug. You know, even now in in my nonprofit work, I will hug someone and you just sometimes feel the weight of everything fall off from one hug and you say nothing. We don't hug as much anymore. We don't put our hearts to each other and just say, how are you? I love you, smile at people. That may be the one thing for that person that's on the ledge that pulls them off in that moment. And if you can pull them off in that moment, then we have a chance to keep them here. So you don't need these, you know, grandiose statements and moves and actions. Sometimes just hug them, let them know their value. 
because we all want to be loved and feel like we're valued and someone cares and we're important. I'm so glad that you are doing the work you do. And I, I'm grateful that you were able to make time to speak with me about all this. Well, Renee, thank you. And thank you for having me. And I'm grateful for your platform because people are listening to these stories. And I know that it resonates with someone for each guest. And I can tell you from personal experience that it's that one moment that may be so insignificant to someone else that truly transforms and changes a person's life. So these podcasts, when your listeners hear this, and especially when they share it, because they don't know who they're around that needs to hear this message, it makes a tremendous difference. So thank you for what you're doing and allowing me to be here today. Yeah, I'm really excited to follow your work and I hope you have a really good holiday season because I think I'm going to probably use this right just before Christmas. Yes, thank you and likewise. (laughs) Thanks so much, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more information on this episode, photos, community discussion, and other episodes, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.